Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we've spent time laughing, growing, and being transformed in Christ's presence in community with other leaders. Thanks, Ruth. And hey, we've appreciated the great response we've had to the first five seasons of the podcast, and we would love to bring more seasons and expand what we're doing with the podcast, but all those things take financial resources. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, we'd like to invite you to become a monthly patron by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. That's transformingcenter.org slash patron. You can choose what level of support you would like to give, and you'll get some exclusive bonus content for becoming a patron. Thanks so much for considering it. I also want to let you know that this season, we're walking through Ruth's newest book, which is called Invitation to Retreat. We're going to have one episode per chapter, and we encourage you to purchase the book and read along with us. When you buy the book from the Transforming Center, you're going to receive a signed copy from Ruth and some exclusive bonus offers. So visit thetransformingcenter.org to learn more. Ruth, we've made it to episode seven. So exciting. And this one is called Relinquishing Your False Self mm-hmm. Patterns. Yeah. So we've talked about this before, but could you define mm-hmm. what you mean by false self and also why we develop one in the first yeah. place? Well, the false self is just the defense mechanisms and the defense structures that we all develop early on before we're even conscious of what we're doing. Um Thanks be to God, we're all wired to want to survive and to deal with primary anxieties. And so um, when a child is born into an imperfect world, there's always some kind of self-protection that they need to do, some way of keeping themselves um, in survival and also dealing with issues of whether or not I'm loved, whether or not the universe and the world is a safe place for me, whether or not I've got approval and affection, what's my sense of control and agency in the world. And so those are all primal human needs and all very legitimate, but you know, when a baby is born into this world, all they know is how they feel about their world. Mm -hmm. And they begin very early on, you know, developing these defense structures and these defense mechanisms. And so that's the beginning of the false self. And we develop the false self over time throughout our years. And not everyone even has the grace or gets the grace to know that there's a false self. But, you know, part of the spiritual journey is to become aware of the fact that um, not everything that I think is true is true about me and that there's a truer self. And the New Testament talks about that as the, our life hidden with Christ in God. That's really the biblical basis for a true self. And so that's why this journey into solitude, silence, retreat, a journey deeper and deeper into an awareness of the presence of God eventually moves us to a place where we're aware of our false self tendencies, the ways we try to control our world on our own terms. And God, by God's grace, begins to move us towards surrender and abandonment and allowing God to be the one now that we rely on rather than these defense mechanisms that we've developed over time. Right. And we've talked about the fact, and you just mentioned it, the false self is not necessarily a bad thing at first. In fact, it's a helpful thing. It's Mm -hmm. the way we survive. It's the way we get through things where we can't defend ourselves Mm -hmm. maybe. But then there comes a point, as you mentioned, that you have to recognize it and say, oh man, yeah, that's actually uh, developing mm-hmm. some, some bad patterns in my right. life, relational patterns. And it's, and it's actually preventing the, us saying yes to the deeper journey that God's inviting us 
into, which has to do with greater surrender and greater abandonment to God for our deepest needs and securities. Because the false self or ego self, mm-hmm. it doesn't want to let go right. of control. It's right. clamoring mm-hmm. for control. Right. So retreat helps us, mm-hmm. helps us yeah, do this. Yeah, it gives us all sorts of ways to notice our patterns, and then there's very concrete opportunities to relinquish our false self patterns. There's a story you tell in this chapter, and it's kind of a moment of desperation mm-hmm. is how I see it mm-hmm. as I read it. Yeah. When you say to your spiritual director, essentially, how will I know when I've done enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was behind that question? Um, well... You know, it's. I laugh, and it's true that I, I, I've often thought, well, I'd really like it to say on my tombstone uh, what Jesus said, you know, to to the woman, where when he said, "Leave her alone; she's done what she yeah. could." You know, yeah. when the woman is, you know, washing his feet, and the disciples are complaining about it, and Jesus says, "Leave her alone; she's done what she could." And I've always thought that's what I would like to have on my tombstone: <laughs> "Leave her alone; she has done what she could." You yes. know. So we were talking about that, and you know, the deeper question under that was, "Do I ever get to know I've done enough? When do I?" get to know I've done enough. And he said, well, what if they put on your tombstone, um, leave her alone? She's done more than she could, you know, Um, that she actually did more and more than she was meant to do and more than she could do and wasn't even able to survive it, you know, and he was being funny and and it was funny and it was true, you know, that that's possible, you know, so. But how did you react? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it stopped me in my tracks, you know, because I realized that it's quite possible that I could get to a point where I've done more than is actually possible for this one human being to do. So what are some tools that we can learn to, first of all, identify our false Mm -hmm. self patterns and then relinquish them over time? Well, you know, there's always some way that we have to work on identifying what's false and what's true within us. So the seven deadly sins are the oldest and most traditional schema for identifying false self patterns and sin patterns. Um, The Myers-Briggs is something that people have used. In fact, Dr. Mulholland uses that in his book, Invitation to a Journey, to help us to see uh, what our strengths are, but also to see the underdeveloped, what he calls the underdeveloped shadow side, that part of us that's not well-developed because we haven't paid attention to it. And I really like his schema because I think we often talk about the shadow side as only being about sin. He actually talks about it as being that that which is underdeveloped and undernourished. And I think that that's a really fresh way of looking at it because... He would say that our spiritual formation is about becoming fully orbed human beings and being able to access what is most needed in any given moment rather than always only going with our strengths or what appears to come naturally to us. Another uh, typology that's being used a lot these days is the Enneagram, and it, it, it also is rooted in our Christian history. Um, and it's just a way of identifying nine different ways that we work to keep ourselves safe, secure, feeling affection and approval and gaining what we think we need in this world. Um, Now, right now, I will say, I think we're going a bit overboard. I will just say that. (laughs) Um, I have people who just introduce Uh, themselves uh, to me right off the bat by their Enneagram (laughs) number. And I'm like, I didn't ask you for that. Um, So it's it's interesting. I think we're, we're going a little bit overboard in our emphasis on the Enneagram right now. But it is a very helpful tool because it is... It is developed specifically to help us see the shadow side, to see um, the false self pattern as opposed to identifying our strengths, which the Myers-Briggs is often used to develop and to identify strength, whereas the Enneagram is meant to identify sin patterns, uh, the ways in which we, in our human selves, try to secure what we think we need in this world. Well, you're right. It is hot right now. Everybody's mm-hmm. talking about it. And, and people say, oh, that's yeah. so four of you. Yeah. Or that's so mm-hmm. nine of you. Or yeah. And it, it, you, you say, beware that we don't use this as a parlor game. It's not a parlor right. game. Mm-hmm. And you're not really supposed to name someone else's number. Right. Not, 
but it is such a helpful tool. So would you walk through, and you're not going to be able to do it in full, but Mm -hmm. walk through the nine types and what their signature yeah. Sin is. The, yeah. And the other thing that's interesting right now is that everybody's coming out with their own version of right. the Enneagram teaching. So even the way you describe each number, there's a variety of ways yeah. to do each one because everybody is kind of coming up with their own better, what what they think might be a better way to do it. So I'm going to stick with Richard Rohr, the Christian, um, the Christian perspective on the Enneagram that he writes. And uh, go with his wording, if that's okay. Because you yeah. just have to pick something. You yeah. have to go somewhere with it. So... Um, the you know the enneagram type nine would be the one who keeps peace at any price the peacemaker the peacekeeper um the one would be the one who has a need to be good and to be seen as being good and right a two is one who needs to be helpful and who um, can be very prideful in their ability to be a helper and overly identified with being a helper giving you what you need um the three has a great need to be seen as being successful and so image management and even deceit can be a part of that pattern the four is the need to be special the the creative type that's typically seen as a creative type, but this need to be special and there's uh, all sorts of longing and all of that, that the four is experienced. They often see the, the, you know, the glasses being half empty and not, you know, half full. There's this longing that they feel. Um, the, the five is stuck in their heads quite a bit. So it's the need to know more, the need to understand. Um, so they're often very much into gathering information. Oftentimes they are so much in their heads that they don't let themselves feel things. They're often stingy with giving themselves to others. So that's the five. The six is given to fear oftentimes. So um, perhaps even in their background, there was a sense of uncertainty or volatility in their background. And so they're very much about security and keeping things safe and being safe and not taking risks. Um, the counter the counterphobic four though can actually, six. you know, can, yeah, six, right. Can actually, um, go to a place of being, um, very strong and almost in a fighting way, try to secure their own survival. So sometimes they get mixed up with an aid, but you know, it's where, where it comes from that they distinguishes try to conquer their fear by yeah, tackling, by tackling and by attacking and even being violent. So a lot mm-hmm. of fundamentalists who get involved in wars and things like that are actually counterphobic sixes who are entering into, you know, violent resistance in order to secure their own survival on the earth. Um, the seven is the one who needs to have fun and who doesn't want to enter into the darker aspects of life. So they typically will want to party a lot, stay on the surface of things, not feel the deeper emotions, not really face the very complex issues of our world. So they, they try to stay in sort of a party mode with lots of options always open. And, um, so that's the seven. And then the eight is the need to be over and against, you know, the need to fight the enjoyment of the fight. And, um, so the fight will always will often have the fighter will always have that desire to be against whatever it is that's happening, whatever idea I'm going to be against it, you know, oh, and yeah. there's something about that that feels good and right to them. So that's in a very, very general and quick sense what the Enneagram numbers stand for. And the goodness of being able to see yourself in any of those patterns and any of those numbers is that then a world of choice opens up and you can actually choose to do something different than the unconscious patterns that you've been stuck in. And so that's why we that's why we look at the Enneagram and use it as a way of getting in touch with what might be keeping us from being abandoned and surrendered to God. I found it to be so mm-hmm. helpful. And um, as I've mentioned on the podcast, I, I, I am a three mm-hmm. and I'm almost a three with a three wing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm so much of a three. Yeah. But so I know that I need to be aware of my propensity mm-hmm. to shade the truth 
mm-hmm. and to almost unconsciously look for ways to impress people. Yeah. I can, I have an almost eerie ability to sense what will be, yeah. uh, in my mind mm-hmm. anyway, impressive to someone yeah. else. And then mm-hmm. I try to project that image. Right. And sometimes it kind of works mm-hmm. and I can be charming. And But then I'm so tired. Yeah. And I end up, because my one of my needs and wants is to really be seen and known. Right. And so the paradox of that is that I'm mm-hmm. never really seen and known yeah. when I project an image that right. isn't myself. Because mm-hmm. then there, people are loving something that's not even really you. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so it's this exhausting yeah. thing. We've talked about mm-hmm. exhaustion. So for Enneagram folks how do they take some of that knowledge and start to relinquish some mm-hmm. of those patterns? Well, first of all, and a- anyone who writes or teaches about the Enneagram will say that the first thing is just being able to notice Yeah, that just being able to see, Oh, I'm doing it again. I'm doing that thing. I do just the ability to notice it and name it for what it is, is the beginning of transformation yes. because then we actually have a choice. Yeah. And sometimes we can actually choose to move against our Enneagram type and do something that's more life giving for us and for others. And that, um, enables us to surrender ourselves to God rather than continuing to work for our own survival on our own terms. So that is the very, very first thing. And I will say it's painful. I mean, when you really start to see all the ways in which your false self is at work, I mean, somebody has said that, you know, the, any, your, your, any, your type, your number is at work every 30 to 60 seconds. Oh my. Wow. And so when you realize how, much it's a part of who you are, it can actually be discouraging. And so I, I find it hopeful, though, to be able to say, wow, just noticing it is something. Oh, God, please let that be true. Mm-hmm, just noticing mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. at least gets me on a, on a different path. So I'm grateful that it's in some ways that's the simple first step is just being able to witness it and observe it. So um, and I think even offering it up to God and and you know saying to there god okay what are we going to do about this how can i make a different choice how mm-hmm. can i choose something different than my normal way mm-hmm. um becomes you know the opening of a new path yeah i remember wanting to be an eight mm-hmm. when i was first oh, learning about the enneagram yeah. mm-hmm. and i don't know why i think i saw eights as powerful mm-hmm. and leaders and when i heard the three described i was like oh no mm-hmm. i don't want to be that i mm-hmm. don't want to be that yeah. Do you find that that maybe there's this resistance yeah. to, like, is that a common response? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, in fact, what I've said when I'm involved with, you know, teaching the Enneagram is that the thing you most don't want to be is probably who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing mm-hmm. that causes you the greatest feeling of shame, right, that one right. you say, I'm not that, that's probably the one you are. So you really need to pay attention to that one. Okay, so we see it, we name it, mm-hmm. we say a prayer like, okay, God, what yeah. are we going to mm-hmm. do about that? Right. And then there really are spiritual practices that can correspond to each one of the types. So um, I don't know if we want to go there right now, but there are spiritual practices that do correspond with each number. And so, um, for instance, for the three or even the seven, solitude and silence are real challenges, but very good disciplines because for, for the three, uh, to move beyond needing to project an image and to just be a soul in God's presence, like, like to literally drop out of sight. Mm-hmm. That is a really good discipline for mm-hmm. the person who's always trying to put their image out there and trying to be successful in the world. Or for the seven, who's just addicted to having fun and partying so they don't have to face the difficulties of life. They don't have to, to, to face what's really going on within them. Solitude gives them the space and almost forces them to face what's really going on within them. And mm-hmm. that is an excellent practice for a seven. Um, 
for a five who's so used to being in their heads to actually be willing to experience emotion and in solitude and silence, allow the emotion to come and to actually be present to it and to discipline how much they're reading and how much they're doing in the, in the realm of information that can be really, really great. So you can begin to see that actually solitude and silence is good for everybody in one way or the other. Um, for the two to stop helping other people and on retreat to allow God to minister to their needs and to allow other people to minister to them. That's really uncomfortable when your whole identity is wrapped up in your ability to help other people. Um, So, you know, there are just really good spiritual practices that correspond to each one of the numbers. One of the things things I've heard you say is is many churches hire your false self. Mm -hmm. You present your false self, they like it, they hire Mm -hmm. it, and then let's say you go on a retreat for a few times and you realize I've been operating mm-hmm. out of my false self, but that's all that they know. Right. How do you uh, help people begin to walk through that process? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually think that solitude, silence, and spiritual direction as practices help you to create a space where you can actually be with that truth. And I do not suggest that the first minute you have an inkling that they hired your false self, you go back and tell them. I do not suggest that. There is a way more of a spiritual process that needs to take place there before you even start talking about it in your employment situation. But with good spiritual direction, with good attention and solitude and silence, with an ongoing practice and process of self-knowledge and self-examination, Um, there will be a time when, number one, you just start to make some shifts. That's what I would suggest. Don't go talk about it. Just start making some shifts. As you get in touch with what's true about you, start bringing more truth, more of your true self, you know, to your situation Um, and see how people respond. And I think good leadership is always about leading process. It's always about leading change and not just foisting change on people in such a way that they have no choice but to right. resist. Right. Um, so to s- just start bringing your truer self in, in bits and bites and maybe preaching from a more authentic place, maybe um, in interactions that you're having with people that would typically be threatening to you, actually be aware of your own false self and choose something else and do it in more subtle ways first. Um, and then eventually there might be a conversation that comes where we say to those who hired us, you know what? Um, I'm learning some stuff about myself. I've realized that some of the things that I presented when I came weren't my truest self. And I'm really longing to bring more of my true self. And if they're on a spiritual journey as well, you, you would imagine and expect that they would actually be enlivened by Mm -hmm. you as the pastor, bringing that kind of a conversation to the fore. Yeah. Okay, Ruth, last question. Tell us how each of the nine types can relinquish their false self patterns on retreat. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do it. Because I think on retreat, number one, you're able to observe better some of the inner dynamics. And then number two, you have a little bit more space to do stuff differently and then to be with God with it, you know? So, so let's look for these opportunities. So type one, the need to be good and perfect. Well, on retreat, consider giving up any attempt to get it right. So, you know, one is going to want to get retreat right. They're going to want to do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to know they're being perfect. So for a one to resist the urge to have a perfect retreat Mm -hmm. and to get it right um, or to turn retreat into a self-improvement project, to just really resist that tendency and just let it be good enough. Experience the pure beauty of everything that you do. The wildness of nature can be helpful. 
Um, but experience your retreat time every minute, every day as being what God intends and it's enough, it's good enough. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good practice for one. And resist any urge to give suggestions to the retreat center about how they could do retreats oh, better. Yeah. You know, um, don't do that. Don't go there. Let your retreat experience be what it is and let it be good enough in God's in God's presence. The, the two, the need to be needed. So notice how uncomfortable it is to be served on retreat rather than to serve. And no matter how uncomfortable it is, continue to let yourself be served on retreat. And notice how much of your identity is tied up in, in being the one who's serving. And see if you can be in touch with who you are while other people are serving you. And get in touch with what's more authentic within you. Be present to your own needs. And trust God to meet your needs and let others meet your needs on retreat. Receive their care and service and receive it as God actually caring for you. And if you do notice that impulse to, you know, clean something up or, you know, something like that, just resist it. Mm -hmm. um, don't do anything, you know, that is shoring up that aspect of your sense of self, but you let yourself be served on retreat and see how that feels. Um, the, the need to succeed, the, the, the number three, determine not to manage your image at all while on retreat. Um, not to make yourself look better than they are than you are, even in subtle ways. Um, when you have a moment to share, you know, if you do, like mm -hmm. if you're with others and you're even introducing yourself to other people, even to your spiritual director, don't talk about roles and titles mm -hmm. and accomplishments mm -hmm. or the book you're writing, you know, and notice how <laughs> or the people you yeah, know or the people that you know and notice how <laughs> uncomfortable or how comfortable it is um, to just be yourself and not be your accomplishments. Um, be vigilant about your tendency to appear more put together than you are, you know, uh, it's very, very subtle, but just notice that. So while on retreat, maybe don't do so much with yourself, mm -hmm. um, and just see if you can be a soul in God's presence and with other people as a soul, just lay it all down, relinquish those impulses to God. Uh, the four, the need to be special. Um, as you arrive, notice any ways you might want to be drawing attention to yourself, whether it's your flashy clothes or whether it's dramatic makeup or jewelry, um, how you introduce yourself to others. Um, notice what it feels like to just let yourself be ordinary, you know, and to be like everybody else who's coming for a retreat. I remember asking, I'm, you know, my training is in spiritual direction. And I remember directing a female four on retreat um, for a longer private retreat. And at one point I asked her, hey, would you be willing to come to our sessions without makeup? Because she was very dramatic mm -hmm. in her makeup. And I thought, that's a part of what needs to be relinquished here on retreat. And so she was so, so uncomfortable with the idea, but she did it. And it was mm -hmm. actually a breakthrough mm -hmm. for her to come to spiritual direction and be seen mm -hmm. without all of her dramatic makeup. Just like I came with wet hair yesterday. It's like, I don't care. You know, so we great. love each other as we are. So that's really, really a good practice for four. Um, and also to to face the sadness, but to to be in God's presence with it, as opposed mm -hmm. to going into morbid introspection. You know, fours can be really subject to morbid introspection. Yeah. So instead, open it up to God and see what God has to say about your sadness. Um, fives, the need to perceive and to know more. So fives can get into retreat and and say, oh, great, I can read the whole time I'm here. They get so that, that, they, they that bring all their they books and yeah. they are ready to go yeah. and to gain as much information as they can while yeah. they're on retreat. So for the fives to actually relinquish this need for more information, to leave your books at home and come open and receptive to what God wants to do, Wow. To be in your body, to cry your tears, feel your feelings, get a massage or something that helps you to be in your body. Um, give yourself fully to God emotionally on retreat. Stop being so stingy with yourself. 
um, and believe that experiencing God and entering into every experience that's there on retreat is what you need more than you need to gain more information. Really challenging. For the six, uh, the need for security. So by nature, sixes prefer structures and beliefs that help them to feel safe and secure. They're typically very uncertain about moving beyond their comfort zone. So on retreat, I encourage sixes to pay attention to the invitations that feel risky, Mm. that take you beyond your comfort zone. And uh, the, te- the questions that they might ask are, you know, is the theology of that person who's yes. guiding my t- retreat, is, is it right? Sound. Is it sound, you know? <laughs> um, is it okay to take communion differently from oh, yeah. how I normally take it? Yeah. Um, am I saying these prayers right? Yes. Uh, you know, all of that. Is the Enneagram Christian or is it a tool of the oh, devil? Oh, <laughs> it's all those questions that have to do with security. And the suggestion for the six is to let it all go. Notice what you're afraid of and choose it anyway. Um, and believe that God's with you, God's holding you, God's caring for you. You're not outside of God. You can't possibly be outside of God and, um, and go with it. So um, fun, fun, fun stuff for the six. Um, seven, the need to avoid pain. Well, oftentimes sevens won't even go on a retreat. Yeah. I mean, in our transforming communities, we may have one or two or three sevens out of a hundred. Whoa. You know, yeah. So anytime we get more than three sevens in a community, we're ecstatic because yeah. it means our community is more fun because the sevens <laughs> are bringing their fun. And it also means that they're moving beyond the sevens need to avoid pain. Um, and so for the sevens, it's to first of all, go on a retreat. Um, then as you're on retreat, um, don't bring the things that typically distract you, you know, notice what distracts you and leave it at home. Um, face the pain, you know, walk into the pain, whatever surfaces while you're on retreat, um, cry your tears, experience the simple joys rather than all the stimulation of the partying and stuff. Experience the simple joys of silence, of sunsets, of a hot shower, of sitting in the warm sun, of a morning walk. Um, Let the simple joys fill you rather than moving into that need to be distracted. Um, The eight, the need to be against. So for the eight, the opportunity to go with what's going um, on retreat, to say yes to the invitations, to relinquish that fighting spirit, um, to trust that good things are happening in the peace and in the quiet, even when you're not fighting it. Um, experience your weakness, yeah. your need, your vulnerability, your tenderness. Be a child. I mean, the best thing an eight can do is to be a child in God's presence while on retreat, whatever that looks like. Um, whether it looks like playing soccer with a soccer ball, whether it looks like curling up in bed at night and experiencing yourself to be a child, whether it has to do with tears or giggling or laughter, to allow yourself to be a child in God's presence. That's the best space for an eight. Uh, And then the nine, the need to avoid. And so it's possible that nines are the best ones to go on a retreat Mm -hmm. because retreat gives them another chance to do what they do, which is to avoid um, everything, the world with its evil and its good, and maybe even Mm -hmm. to avoid what's going on inside. And so for the nine to actually on retreat, allow themselves to get in touch with what they're passionate about and what would fuel a sense of purpose in their lives to feel their strong feelings about something and what they do want to get involved in and um to consciously struggle to find a viewpoint to find a place to stand and to emerge from retreat willing to stand there um that can be a great a great way for the nine so those are just some ideas about how retreat can actually be an opportunity to practice relinquishment because then we're we'll get better at it in our overall lives as well yeah, and we're going to, when we get in touch with these places, it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel like we've never done it before. And that's okay because mm-hmm. that's what it is. That's how exactly. we learn to relinquish mm-hmm. it. Ah, oh, it's so beautiful. 
Uh, thank you, Ruth. Mm -hmm. That was so helpful. Uh, do you have a way that you'd like to end this one? Yes. Um, sometimes I think when we work with the Enneagram, and of course I've done this many times in our own communities, I'll, I'll alert people to the temptation to actually put more emphasis on finding your number than naming the actual pattern right. with words. So if I can say I'm a one, that's easier than saying, you know, I'm always trying to be good and nobody else mm -hmm. is good enough for me and I'm always trying to fix things. So what I'd like to do is to help us to move away from the numbers you know, at, at the end of this episode, but rather to be able to write down one phrase or sentence that you've heard in this podcast that represents how you know yourself to be. Hmm. Don't bother with the number right now, but just, you know, claim the phrase that you say, yeah, that's what I do. I avoid pain. Yeah, I'm always over and against. Oh, yeah, I, I always am needing to be special. And so I walk into every room trying to be special. Go with the phrase, not the number that you've heard. Um, and just allow God to bring that to you, you know, what it is that you do, whether it's, you know, associated with a number or not. And then to wonder with God, what would it look like for me to relinquish that false self pattern now and on retreat? and see how God leads you. Beautiful. Thank you, Ruth. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts to choose from, and we are grateful you spent the last 30 minutes with us. If God has stirred something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin your own journey of leadership transformation. I was a part of Transforming Community Number 6, way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. Transforming Community is a practice-based spiritual formation journey with nine quarterly retreats. The Transforming Community is designed to integrate your spirituality and leadership, helping you reclaim practices and experiences spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to open themselves to God's transforming work. Thank you so much for your support of the Transforming Center and this podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. These reviews and ratings increase the visibility of the podcast. Thanks so much.